Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 95, verses 1 to 11. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for being our shepherd, for feeding us, for taking care of us. We pray you'd help us to trust you as our shepherd, to take care of us, to watch over us, to lead us, and to feed us. Lord, this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed, Lord, we ask that you would help us to feed on your word. Lord, that our spirits would be strengthened in how we trust in you. Lord, we pray that you would uh, not only feed us, but help us as those you have called as your shepherds to feed others as you would have us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 95, verses 1 to 11. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Turning then to our New Testament reading from First Peter. <clears throat> Excuse me. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Peter, Peter, writing as a, uh, an older man. Writes, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. 
Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. We read this uh, section from First Peter, and actually read all of 1 Peter, and it's kind of surprising to realize that it was written by the same guy we read about in the Gospels uh, who's following Jesus around and is constantly saying the wrong thing, putting his foot in his mouth, acting before he thinks, speaking before he thinks. And, uh, and you read this letter that he writes. It's like, are we sure this is the same guy? <laughs> but there's something that happens in Peter's life that changes him. And so in one sense, of course, it's the same guy. And on the other hand, it's not at all the same guy. <laughs> there is something that changes Peter. And uh, what we see as he's writing this is he is now someone who is marked not by pride, but by humility, not by uh, being so quick to action, but by his humility, by his patience. And we see somebody who is marked um, not by uh, lording it over any authority over anyone else or seeking after this authority but someone who seeks to serve and to help others to serve. What happened? <laughs> what happened in Peter's life that made this dramatic change? And, uh, you know, you could just look at it and say, well, he got older and, you know, we get older and we mature. <laughs> okay, there's a bit of that. But, but the change in Peter's life happens actually much more quickly than the aging process. The change in Peter's life uh, actually takes place between the Garden of Gethsemane and Pentecost, roughly 50 days later. That's not a lot of time for aging and maturing. <laughs> but something dramatic happens. And we see Peter uh, following Jesus in <laughs> his own way all the way through, saying things like, oh, you're not going to wash my feet. And, oh, I'm willing to die for you. I'm never going to deny you. All these kinds of things. We see him drawing his sword and trying to cut somebody's head off. Missing, getting an ear, but... This is what we see from Peter in the way that he's following Jesus. All the way through. Until the crucifixion. And when Jesus is actually on trial, we see Peter still in Peter self-preservation mode. <laughs> And it's easy to look at Peter and be like, how could you do that? And Peter could do that because he's us. Peter is a person. <laughs> this is what we do. We get into just self-preservation mode. And we do the things that we think will help us advance in whatever it is we're trying to advance in and avoid whatever it is we're trying to avoid. And for Peter, at the night 
that Jesus is on trial, this means when someone says, are you with Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one about to go to the cross. So Peter says, no. I'm not with him. I don't know him. Quit asking. And he fails the test that he knew he was sure he would pass. And there's something that happens, though, as we say, that changes Peter. One of the things is the resurrection of Jesus. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> That's the thing that changes everything. Jesus dies on the cross, yes, but he raises again to life. This changes everything. But even more specifically, there's something that Jesus does with Peter that changes Peter. If Jesus just came back from the dead and... Uh, and now Peter knows, yeah, I should have been true to him, but I failed. He could go the rest of his life being defined by his failure. But what we're going to read about today is how Jesus changes that. And Peter is no longer defined by his failure. He is aware of his failure. He's aware of his own weaknesses now in a whole new way. But he's not defined by that. He's defined by Jesus' love for him. And that will be his identity going forward. He is identified by the grace that he has received. And he is marked by humility. So this is the, uh, the event that really changes Peter to the point that, uh, yeah, you see him preaching at Pentecost uh, not that long later. You read things he wrote years later. He is a different person in many ways. And here's how that takes place. This is John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. And if you have ever found yourself in a position where you felt identified by your failures or there's things you just can't ever get past, please listen. Jesus has just fixed breakfast for the disciples on the beach. And it says, afterward, Nope, that's the wrong spot. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, there we go. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Typically, we will work our way kind of through a passage from start to finish, but this passage is set up a little differently, so we're going to go through it a little differently. <laughs> um, there's some repetition here, and you probably noticed that. Of the three times that Jesus, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And 
Uh, there's some kind of wordplay going on uh, with how many you know, different ways that he says love, the different ways that he says sheep or lambs, the different ways that he says feed or take care of, shepherd, uh, the different ways that he talks about uh, when, John says, or when Peter says, uh, you know that I love you. The word for know. Different Greek words, and uh, you can kind of play around with that if you want to. I think it's all stylistic, and we don't need to play around with that. But if you want to, you can, and people do. But the idea is the repetition. The idea is that it's saying the same kind of thing over and over again. It's the same interaction. Why? What's the point? Why the repetition? And uh, so first of all, why the repetition of Simon, son of John? Did you notice that? Jesus, three times, Simon, son of John. Jesus is the one who nicknamed him Peter. Remember that? We're always calling him Peter. We call him Peter because Jesus called him Peter. Not here. Here it's Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. What is that about? And I think this is a question of identity. Who is Peter? (laughs) And it's a way of cutting through kind of the, the nicknames. It's a way of cutting through uh, how other people see you, and it's getting right to the heart of it. Peter is being called out by the one who knows him best, knows him better than he knows himself, the one who has known him since before he was born. And so he goes back to the name he was given at birth, a name that doesn't mean rock like Peter does. On this rock I will build my church, but a name that means listen, to hear. Are you listening? Simon, son of John? And then he asks him the same question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And this, of course, is a question of loyalty. Three times for a reason. When they were in the upper room, Jesus had said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I won't. (laughs) I would lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, summarizing here, paraphrasing, Jesus is like, no, (laughs) you're not going to lay down your life for me yet. You're going to deny me. I know you. I know this is what you're going to do. Knows him better than Peter knows himself. And there's the contrast between a faithless Peter and a faithful Jesus. Who passed the test in the Garden of Gethsemane? Peter who reached for his sword or Jesus who goes willingly? Who passed the test when uh, going to the time of trial before Uh, the religious leaders, and Pilate. Jesus, who spoke honestly and went to the cross? Or Peter, who lied to try to save his skin? Who passed the test? Who was faithful and who was faithless? 
there's a passage in Genesis where uh, Abraham falls into a deep sleep and he's got the animals split open and this is the covenant that ceremony that God is making with Abraham and Abraham knows the drill. You cut open the animals and then you walk through and you promise to be faithful and if I'm not faithful, may I be like these dead animals. May that happen to me. And then he falls in his deep sleep and Abraham has this vision and it's not Abraham that walks through the pieces but he sees this uh, flaming torch and a fire, smoking fire pot that passes through these symbols of the presence of God passing through the animals as though God is saying to Abraham, if this covenant is broken, I'm the one who will become like these dead animals. This is the, the deal. Abraham is not going to keep up his end of the bargain. The descendants of Abraham are not going to. And yet God makes a way for uh, his own faithfulness to win out. And so in this case, we have um, this reversal of Peter's denial as Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Yeah. Even though he hasn't acted like it. Three times and he says, feed my sheep. And this, I think, is really where we get to the heart of the, um, the restoration that's going on. I think if Jesus doesn't tell him to feed my sheep, if he's just like, do you love me? Do, do you, though? I mean, really? Do you love me? <laughs> yeah, I do. Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, where does that go? But instead... When Jesus every time responds, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. It's a question of responsibility. Peter, through what he has done, by all accounts, has disqualified himself, right? He has disqualified himself for ministry in Jesus' kingdom. You don't get to betray the king and still serve at you know, in some position of authority in, in the kingdom. That's not how it works. You betray the king and you get executed or at least exiled. This is restoration. This is taking what was broken and fixing it and making it whole again. Though Peter has disqualified himself for ministry Jesus has still welcomed him into full participation. But reminds him each time, feed my lambs, <laughs> my sheep. <laughs> Peter, this is not your kingdom. This is not your church. When he calls him Peter, says, on this rock I will build my church, I think it's easy for you know, people to look at that and think, oh, so, you know, Peter is this someone special and he's going to be the one who's going to do these great things. I think that's what Peter thought. Because we mishear it. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, you're going to build my church. Or Peter, you're going to build your church. It's, on this rock, I am going to build my church. 
You're the rock. I'm the builder. Yes, you will be used in my kingdom. But let's not forget whose kingdom this is. And so this is welcomed into full participation, but this participation is a responsibility. And it's a responsibility of service. And it's a service in Jesus' kingdom to feed and take care of Jesus' sheep. If you think back to what John or what Jesus said in John 10, where he talks about, I am the good shepherd. again in John 15 when he says, apart from me you can do nothing. Remain in me, you'll bear fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. Peter is being restored and actually restored to a better position than where he was before. Before he was close to Jesus but still serving Peter. Now he's been restored to where he understands his own shortcomings in a new way and understands he needs Jesus. (laughs) the point that when he writes later in first peter he says uh, be shepherds of god's flock that is under your care you hear that he gets it these aren't his sheep this is god's flock that is under your care and then he says and when the chief shepherd appears <laughs> you'll receive the crown of glory. He's gotten it. He understands. He has been restored uh, in his relationship with Jesus, and that is what then allows for participation in this kingdom. Now, Jesus doesn't just leave it there, but in verse 18 reminds him of where this is going to lead. This is a question of sacrifice. Life in this kingdom does not mean everyone's going to now love Peter and it's just going to all be, you know, everything coming up roses from here on out. Jesus went to the cross. Peter's headed to his own cross. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves daily. Take up the cross and follow me. This is what's being explained to Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Life in this kingdom is going to mean for Peter giving up the independence that Peter has chased. Peter has constantly been trying to build Peter's kingdom and preserve Peter's kingdom. But to follow Jesus means to give that up. And so even in his death, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. You hear that? I don't know if Peter even thought that was possible (laughs) before. But if what you're looking at as you're like if you think the whole goal of life is comfort and avoidance of anything unpleasant, there is no way there is no way that suffering or pain 
or death can factor into that, into anything, or work into that in any way that is positive. And yet, here, we say that's not the goal. The goal is glorifying God, which can be done even in all the hard stuff of life, even in death. And finally, after all this, Jesus says to him, follow me. Right? It's pretty simple. This is the indication that it's been made well again. That their relationship has been made whole. There has been an acknowledgement of what has happened through the three times of the denial, through the three times of the do you love me? And there has been a restoration of uh, this relationship. There's been a restoration of his calling as a disciple and one who is now going to be feeding his sheep. But the call at this point is not into something radically different. It's the same call he had at the beginning. Follow me. That's always the call. Follow me. So it's a question of discipleship today. When Jesus first called his disciples, he said, follow me. All along the way, uh, I searched for it. I found like 20 times that Jesus in the Gospels says, follow me. This is one of those things that's over and over and over. And we forget that. We miss that. We start thinking, well, I did that for a while. Now I need to do the next thing. There is no next thing. It's all following Jesus. The daily following Jesus. This is what, he, uh, what God was trying to teach the people when they were wandering in the wilderness. <laughs> Trust me today. We read in Psalm 95. Um, you know, we, he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. Peter gets another choice on that day. Today, am I going to follow Jesus or not? It's beautiful. Because we're used to different conditions. We are used to, you messed up and that's it. We're done with you now. Or maybe we'll give you, you know, three strikes and you're out. In which case, Peter would still have failed. Three strikes. I don't know Jesus, I don't know Jesus, I don't know Jesus. He's done, right? And he could be forever defined by his failure but he's not. He's defined by the love of Jesus who even after his failure still gives him the invitation and the, uh, yeah, just that invitation to begin again and to follow me today. Did you fail yesterday and not follow me? Well, we can make that right again. But follow me today. Are you going to follow me tomorrow? You have no idea. <laughs> That's what uh, Jesus said to Peter when he said, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, I won't. He thought he'd be faithful. He wasn't. Doesn't matter. Follow me today. I say that uh, we're used to the conditions of kind of three strikes and you're out. One of the beautiful things, we're going to use the baseball metaphor. 
is that Jesus is more like a coach than like an umpire. We tend to think in terms of umpire and, oh, I failed too many times and now I'm out. But Jesus is the coach who, after you strike out, welcomes you back into the dugout and says, all right, here's what we need to do differently next time. Now, let's go up again. He's the coach. That relationship hasn't changed. And he's still rooting for our success. So he takes a Peter who could be defined by failure, by his own weakness. And instead, he teaches him humility. Embraces him with his love. And has him forever defined by that love and living in grace. This is for us. This is not just for Peter. This is for us. I hope you've been listening with that in mind all morning. If you have messed up and you feel like you are defined by your failure, that is the voice of the evil one who is known as the accuser. It tries to show you how you've disqualified yourself for anything uh, in God's kingdom. Disqualified yourself from being deserving of his love. Newsflash, none of us are. But Jesus comes to us anyway. (laughs) Restores us to a relationship with him and then says, follow me. And it is in our following him that we may face um, pain and difficulty that will still bring glory to God. And it is in this following him that we learn what it means to feed his sheep and to take care of his sheep like he does, not in our own way. And it is in following him that we learn to live in love and in grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for the ministries to which you have called us. Lord, the sheep that you have uh, given each of us to feed and to take care of. Lord, help us to remember that they are your sheep, that we are to take care of them in your way. And Lord, I pray that uh, you'd help us to remember that we cannot do that apart from you. So Lord, today, I pray that you'd help us not to harden our hearts. But Lord, as we hear your voice, saying, do you love me? Pray that our hearts would respond. You know that I love you. And as we hear your voice saying, follow me, that today we would do just that. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Saying, our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Here is our debt. 
as we forgive our debtors. Meet us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.